to build trust, you start to get excited about others doing great things and how can you support them and how can you help them. Sometimes it's showing up and supporting and not expecting anything in return. That means attending the events. That means, you know, making connections without expecting anything back and using some of your social capital when you can to help others move forward. You're giving without expecting to get back. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. For today's episode, we're headed to Anchorage, Alaska to sit down with Margot Fliss. Margot is a lifelong and proud Alaskan. When she's not building the entrepreneurial ecosystem for the state of Alaska, you can find her fishing salmon in the Kenai River during the summer and raising her newborn daughter. In this conversation, Margot talks about an ecosystem convening that went terribly sideways and talks about how she moved through this experience with a lot of grace and professionalism, if you ask me. But I'll let you judge for yourself. Tally-ho to Anchorage, Alaska. Margot, thank you so much for coming on the show today. The listeners don't know this, but you just recently became a mother. You're officially still on maternity leave, yet you made time to talk to us about <laughs> your experience in ecosystem building and social capital, which I so appreciate. And I secretly hope the baby's gonna crawl in as they do at six weeks old and jump in your lap <laughs> and I can just I could just feast on that side. No, how old is she? Remind me. She is six weeks old, yeah. So I got that right. Wonderful. Okay. So um, if Charlotte wants to come in and say hi, she is super welcome to. And if not, I know that you and I will have plenty to talk about. So my first and favorite question, Margot, if we were to come to your ecosystem for the first time, where would you take us? So I have lived in Alaska pretty much my whole life. So of course, there's a lot to see and there's a lot to do. And... I started thinking about what are some of my favorite places that are very authentic and where you get a really good cross-section of maybe not super touristy things, but what real folks do and, and what it's what it's like to actually live here. And so I thought of First Friday. Um, you know, a lot of communities across the U.S. have First Fridays, you know, literally every Friday, uh, first Friday of the month, uh, they'll have art galleries and um, musical performances and and often there's a theme, there's a lot going on, but I thought that I would love to take you around to different galleries. And uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about Anchorage. So in downtown Anchorage, there's a number of galleries that we would be able to walk to. Um, they often have uh, little snacks. Uh, you'd get to meet a lot of local folks. There's often live music. And what I love about that is you can go, you seem to run into everybody. It's one of those great, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you, you know, in a month. I haven't seen you in a couple months, whatever, especially with COVID. Uh, I I really love to go and, and see folks and, and support local artists. So I would take you to downtown First Friday. Uh, we're able to kind of walk around and see a number of different galleries without uh, walking too far. Um, and then I would probably take you to uh, a local place to, to grab a bite to eat and um, grab a drink. And so there's a, a number of different places downtown that I love that have, um, you know, local spirits, not local wine. I'm a big wine drinker. Uh, but there, So there's not there's not a local winery, <laughs> but uh, that have local beers and and local spirits. And what I love about First Friday is it's about supporting community. And so it's not, again, the super touristy thing, but it's the local folks who go out, you know, and want to support local artists, local musicians, and grab a bite to eat, grab grab something to drink. Um, and so that's what I think I would do. And uh, a great way to kind of see downtown Anchorage, get a great walk in, probably go to the museum, have a, have a nice glass of wine and a great dinner somewhere and, and really get a, a feel for what it's like to, to live here. 
That's what I would do. <laughs> that sounds like my dream Friday night. That is wonderful. <laughs> okay, indulge me here because I've never been to Anchorage or Alaska. Would we actually walk or is that just something you do between June and August and the rest of the time we'd be on a snowmobile or on skis or somehow hiking over mountains of ice and snow? What does that look like? So in downtown, it, you know, it, it snows a lot. So we might be hiking over a lot of different snow, you know, um, but we would not probably be skiing downtown or using a snow machine. The great thing about downtown is it's really, you know, it's pretty compact in the sense of you can walk. That being said, it's cold, you know, um, we're downtown is kind of right off um, Cook Inlet. And so uh, it's windy, it's cold outside in, in the winter months and you just bundle up appropriately. And so one thing I like to tell folks, I grew up in Fairbanks, which is an Arctic desert, which means it's not wet. It's a very dry cold. So you bundle up appropriately and there typically wasn't a lot of wind. Anchorage is very different, right? We're right on the ocean. And so it's windy and you need to dress almost as if you were in like Chicago. It's it's wet and it can be cold. Um, that being said, uh, you will have phenomenal views of the mountains and of um, the coastal trail and, and Cook Inlet uh, from downtown. So we would be walking around, uh, hopefully bundled up appropriately. Uh, but for skiing or snow machining, you could go right outside of town and do those those activities. You, there's, I and I don't want to misquote on this, but I believe Anchorage has uh, is a community or a city that has more groomed trails than any other city in the United States, or it's one of the top ones. Um, folks love to bike and hike and walk and uh, ski and ski jour. Ski jouring, for those who don't know, is when you hook up your dog. Uh, so my brother and sister-in-law do this. Um, they have two huskies and so they'll be on skis and the dog will wear a harness and they'll pull you. Really cool, right? Um, really fun. So not dog sledding, uh, but the dog, they, you'll hook the dog up and, and they, they kind of take you for a ride. It's a lot of fun. Amazing. Have you ever <laughs> considered moving somewhere south? Yes. <laughs> uh, especially, we had a very rainy summer. Um, and so oh, I was thankful God. for that. I was thankful for that because I was very pregnant. And so I was really, you know, overheating a lot. But it, it <laughs> rained for months on end. And so then you think, oh, man, we just had all this rain and now we're going into the winter. <laughs> so I think about moving somewhere south. but. My family's here, my community's here. So I compromise and we try to go out and visit much warmer places frequently, especially in the wintertime. Um, Hawaii is a favorite. We have um, family and you know friends there. So we try to go there often. Fantastic. When I lived in Toronto, Canada, winters are really long and dark and cold. And it was super common in January, February for people to just bug out for a week or two to somewhere sunny to not lose their sanity. But it sounds like you were born and raised in the Arctic, so you seem to not mind it as much as I probably would after 10 minutes of walking around Anchorage. You would have to put me in a wine bar and just make me warm up and keep my spirits up. Awesome. Well, all that is to say, I can't wait to come in the summer months and see what your community is all about. Margot, let's dive right in. I'm so curious to hear about your experience. You are a seasoned strategic doing practitioner. You are super knowledgeable when it comes to ecosystem development and entrepreneurship. I want to dive right in. Talk to me about conflict. Can you take us back to a situation in your career where there was a conflict in your ecosystem among stakeholders and walk us through what was going on at the time? Absolutely. Uh, I had a particular um, event that I wanted to actually chat about. And of course, I'm keeping it a little more broad. Uh, in terms of not naming, you know, specific folks or specific time. To give you a little bit of context, it was an event around an emerging industry in Alaska. So there was a lot of excitement. We were having a gathering and we had folks from all across the state attending. And the goal was really to help a couple of um, organizations and entrepreneurs really get some great direction, right? This is where there's a great opportunity. There's a lot of momentum. There's maybe some funding. Let's help, you know, maybe point folks in that particular direction. So 
um, I had planned out with the help of others a number of different activities to get folks running in the same direction, mm -hmm. right? So you have people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds who have something to offer to um, this particular discussion. And what ended up happening was, again, you know, you prepare, you think this is going to go amazing. This is so exciting. He totally went off the rails um, about halfway through the first day. <laughs> and I, you know, I've thought a lot about why things went sideways. And there was a couple of different factors at play. One was folks were really excited about this industry, right? They were, you know, people who had taken time and energy to come to this event. Folks were really excited. And what happened was we had too many cooks in the kitchen. And what I mean by that is everybody had a different idea of where they thought this industry should go. And it turned into this conflict of folks saying, well, I, I have experience and background and I think it should go this way. And then a group of other folks saying, no, 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 no. I have this other experience and this other background. I think we should be going, you know, the opposite direction. And all the activities that I had set up to do, uh, we eventually got to a point where folks were openly just saying, well, I'm not going to do that, you know, um, which as a facilitator, it almost feels like you're the teacher and you have a student saying, well, I'm just not going to be doing that. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, um, I have now folks openly arguing with me about what we should be doing at this event. Now, having prepared extensively, uh, this is kind of your worst nightmare, right? It is somebody who's sitting there. You're trying to guide folks through a conversation with activities to get to an endpoint. And you now have somebody sitting there, kind of their arms folded, saying, no, I'm not going to be doing that. I think this is stupid or I think this is a waste of time. And it completely derailed the event. Um, and as you can imagine, just as if you were a teacher, you're thinking, what do I do? Uh, these are all adults. These are all professionals, folks that I really admire. They've taken their time and energy to come and participate. And I have somebody being, I don't want to say openly defiant, but that's how it felt. They're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I took some time. We had to regroup. And what we ended up doing was um, we worked through the rest of the activities, but the end result was just kind of chaos. Folks felt, you know, upset. Uh, this was a waste of my time. We didn't get any great resolution at the end. Instead of saying, you know, this is a great emerging industry. We're very excited. We think these are three great lanes that we should be working in. We didn't get anything like that. And instead, folks just felt, uh, I think, disillusioned, like, wow, this is a great opportunity. We all got together. People were just essentially fighting in a professional sense, you know, not yelling and screaming per se, but um, saying, no, this is dumb. I don't want to do this anymore. This was a waste of my time. So as you can imagine, as a facilitator, that's your worst nightmare. Yeah. You really want to guide folks and you used some of your social capital to get a lot of those folks there. And you're super embarrassed <laughs> thinking this was a disaster. We didn't get any of the outcomes we set out to do. And I felt like a fool, like I prepared. Um, and we didn't make any great movement. And folks are now, not only are they upset, the next time we're going to try to convene a group to work on this same emerging industry, half these folks or more are going to say, no, we did that last time. Didn't work. No, thank you. So then you've just lost out on a lot of great input. And um, that's social capital, right? That's a lot of folks who bring their experience, their knowledge, and their networks to the table. So it, it, was, an, it was a disaster. And any facilitator who's had that happen um, it's kind of like having a heckler come into an event that you're yeah. doing. How do you handle that? Um, I handled it the best that I could, but at the end, I felt like the whole event had failed. We hadn't met any of our goals, and I felt that really embarrassed and like we'd wasted a lot of our social capital bringing folks in and not making any progress. As you were talking, my heart rate just kept rising, 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 and my hands are actually sweaty now. I am... <laughs> mortified for you and not because 
I think it was your fault in any way. I mean, you were the facilitator, but how, what? That sounds absolutely... Did you quit and then just go work at a grocery store for a year? Or <laughs> like, how do you how do you get up the next morning and say, all right, great, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's try that again. Uh, honestly, I took a little bit of time off and I did a lot of thought and you know, journaling and thinking through how could I have done that better. But what was frustrating was the realization of some of the folks in there were were never going to be um, great uh, collaborators. Mm -hmm. They wanted it their way or there was nothing that was going to happen, you know, my way or the highway. And so then I started to think, well, then do you exclude those folks because they don't want to be team players. They don't want to work with everybody else. Or do you just kind of let them do what they want to do? Um, it, it honestly, I talked to a lot of folks and spent a lot of time being frustrated and thinking, what could I have done better? And sometimes it's, um, Brene Brown talks about this. Sometimes it's you have boulders or rocks that you're carrying around and you got to set it down and you got to kind of walk around it. Um, there isn't necessarily a great solution. So, that's a really hard realization to come to. Uh, sometimes folks do not want to play nice. They do not want to collaborate. Uh, and figuring out how to gracefully deal with that, it, there, there's no perfect way to do that. It's very hard to do. <laughs> what, what did you decide in the end? Did you invite them back? Or did you just move forward with a, you know, a smaller coalition of the willing? Did you try to bring people back to the table? What was the outcome? So we did try to bring folks back to the table at a couple of other smaller events. I love coalition of the willing. I love that phrase. Folks who were excited. One of the issues, though, is you have lost trust of some folks, right? Again, they said, I put my time and energy in and I felt that was a waste. So they'll be gracious, but they're not going to do it a second time, right? You, you had a small bit of trust with them and it feels like you broke the trust. So one of the things that we did was we said, all right, the folks who want to move forward, we'd all get on the same page, right? Uh, so we did a couple of different activities at follow-up sessions where we tried to start making sure folks were speaking the same language. There's a great strategic doing activity uh, that I think I've told you about to call, we're going on a trip. And it essentially talks about how you could plan your perfect trip. I could plan my perfect trip. We might be describing them in ways that sound like they're going to be really close and really, you know, almost identical to each other, but they're vastly different because we're vastly different people. We have different experiences, different um, upbringings, different things we're excited about. And so if we don't learn how to communicate in a way that allows folks to ask questions and say, hmm, I'm actually a little confused by what you mean there. Can you please tell me more about that? Um, getting folks kind of running in the same direction is incredibly important. But uh, to be honest, there has not been a ton of growth in that group over the last couple of years. There's been really fun things and cool new projects and some great entrepreneurs popping up. But on the whole, in my opinion, things have stalled out in many ways. and. That's really disappointing and really frustrating. I, yeah, that is what a, as little as I know about the situation, but based on how you described it, I don't think I would be disappointed in you. I don't think I would put that blame on you if I were one of the parties. I think I would step back and look at the whole situation and see, I don't know that anyone, any one person was at fault. Maybe it was one of those classical, the timing wasn't right. Or there were just, maybe it was too early, or maybe some key person was missing, or there really were just disruptors in the room that prevented the group from finding any sense of cohesion and, and moving forward together. But I don't think I would point at you and say, you burnt that bridge with me. You have no more social capital with me. I'm out of here. What do you think? I would agree to some extent. I think that Folks will be nice and they'll say, oh, you know, I'm busy. I've got a lot going on. And a few people that I said, can you, you know, can you give it to me straight? Uh, and, and that's how I found out some folks said, you know, I was really excited. I had to opportunity costs. I had to give up doing other things to come and participate. 
and I felt so frustrated. I don't want to do that again. So I won't be participating or there has to be a lot that would change to get me to come back to the table. And so is that my fault expressly? No, but I feel that as an ecosystem builder and a community builder, that's really disappointing. You know, I, I felt embarrassed. And as I mentioned, uh, you kind of feel foolish, like, wow, how did I not foresee that there would be disruptors in the room, that this would take, you know, the whole event would kind of go off the rails and you wouldn't get anything done, essentially. It did teach me a lot about how to prepare and how to trust my gut on certain things moving forward. Super. That, that was going to be my follow-up question is, now that you have the gift of hindsight, if you could travel back in time and, and do the whole thing over again, what would you do differently? I would have defined the entire event differently. I would have put up very different parameters. And this actually goes back to that we're going on a trip exercise. I was saying we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And some of the folks helping plan said, yeah, we're going to do that. And I think everybody had a very different idea of what X, Y, and Z was. And so maybe what they really wanted to get out of it, even though they were telling me, I want to get this out of it, that to them looked very different than it looked to me. So I would have uh, drilled down pretty extensively on success to me looks like this, this, and this happening. And then they would have probably pushed back and said, oh, those two are not important to me at all. What I really want to happen is this third thing here. So that would have totally changed the nature of what we did. It probably would have changed some of the folks that we invited. So that's one thing. I would have changed the parameters and done more pre-work to make sure that everybody was on the same page and how they defined what success would look like. Yeah. And then I think the second thing that I would have done was really tell folks, you know, as the organizer, as a facilitator, here's what I'm going to be doing. Here's the expectations for me. Here's the expectations for you as a participant. And make that really clear to folks. I think that there was some miscommunication where some folks thought, oh, um, here's what we're going to be doing. And, and again, miscommunication, it, it can be so detrimental. And people think, oh, we just were a little bit not on the same page. However, that can be incredibly detrimental to the success of an event or, you know, an organization or a program kind of moving forward. So there has to be a big emphasis on the pre-planning and the building of trust. Uh, also, in hindsight, I trusted that some folks would do what they said they were going to do and, and, and show up and um, kind of fulfill their end of the bargain. And I felt foolish. And, you know, again, when I thought they said they were going to do this and they did not do that at all. And I was really upset. So uh, I think what I would have done was more working with them uh, beforehand to ensure that we were, um, there was a level of, I keep using the word trust, but when you've worked with folks and you understand where they're coming from and, and why they're doing what they're doing, you start to have empathy for them. Okay, I understand why they're doing this and, and you start to build a rapport. That's a really critical in building trust and having successful events, in my opinion. I agree. Um, Margot, to what extent has that changed how you go into these situations now? Has that somehow changed your approach? And if so, how? The way that I approach it now is, you know, often you're like, wow, this is really exciting. I can't wait to dive into this. And then you find folks that are kind of naysayers like, oh, here we go again. We tried that already. Here's why it failed. And so one thing that I have found that it's, it's really hard to fight against is kind of the absence of hope, <laughs> right? When people are like, oh, you know, we tried that. We don't really want to put ourselves out there again. That is really hard to combat, right? That's very hard to come back from when people say, you know, we tried that. Uh, we don't really want to put ourselves out there again, or we're frustrated because it didn't work that time. Now, I agree with you that there are so many factors. It wasn't the right time. The right people weren't in the room. It was a great first step, but more things need to happen to help this particular venture, you know, progress. But it's very hard to combat folks who um, 
they, in strategic doing, they call them soreheads. They've got a million reasons why they don't have hope anymore. They say, nope, that's not going to work. We've tried that, et cetera, et cetera. So what I often try to do when I approach projects is almost head that off and say, tell me about that. Why do you think it didn't work? What went wrong? What could we do differently? Really try to engage the folks that seem to have kind of lost their hope for that exciting new project or exciting new program and say, tell me about it. What happened? What could we do differently? And sometimes engaging those folks early on in the process can be really transformational and they can end up being some of your biggest advocates. Mm -hmm. So I think that one of the things that I've learned is to approach projects very differently. If you have naysayers, bring them in early and say, tell me about what experience made you feel that way or what happened. Maybe how did that make you feel? Were you frustrated? Were you upset? Was it, you know, professionally not a great experience for you? Tell me about that. Can we fix that? Can we change that? That's a lot of work. And it's, uh, as an ecosystem builder, it takes a lot of time and effort to build relationships with folks. Again, this is all happening before you start a project. So I think one of my biggest lessons is to build trust. It's a lot of groundwork and often bringing folks in and having uncomfortable conversations when they've lost hope in a project or lost hope in, and they're saying, oh, no, 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 we've tried that before. It's not going to work. How do you combat that? Bring them in and, and, and see what they have to say. And sometimes they're never going to go for a project. They don't want to work on it anymore. They, they don't believe in it. That's okay. But at least you attempted to bring them in and make them an active participant. Hey there. While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind the scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now back to the show. So what I'm hearing you say is in order to build trust, listen to people's stories and experiences and not just act interested, but actually be interested and, and see what you can learn from that. I think part of that is building rapport with individuals to understand how they're thinking about certain things and what their, what their preconceived notions might be and what press experiences they've had. What else, if there is anything else, do you do in order to build trust with stakeholders in your community, be it partners, be it funders, be it entrepreneurs? Is there something that you know works really well? There's a couple of different things actually I think work well, and they all take time and energy. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's no silver bullet of I did one thing and it was magic and then, you know, now we're here. It's about building. And when I say building rapport, I mean, I am just as excited for the successes of other organizations and other professionals in, in the ecosystem as I am for myself. So I attend their events. I, um, sorry, I don't know if you can hear Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, keep going. She heard me. Uh, She's like, oh, uh, yeah. you put in the time when they invite you to events, you know, with it reason, uh, you go, you support them. You are there showing up not to, to, you know, get a participation trophy, but to support them. I feel that one of the best ways to really build a rapport is, is being there for folks and supporting them and congratulating them and offering assistance. And that takes a lot of time and energy. And so one transition that I felt in, found in building trust was when I started to be just as excited about a new opportunity, even if it wasn't coming to me or wasn't coming to my organization when I was just so excited it was coming to our community. That was a big, uh, a big leap forward because I had built trust with folks and was like, they're going to be amazing. Instead of being defensive saying, why didn't that come to me? Why don't I get to work on that? How come our organization isn't leading that? to build trust, you start to get excited about others doing great things and how can you support them and how can you help them? And sometimes it's showing up and supporting and not expecting anything in return. So that's, that's a big thing. That means attending the events. That means, you know, making connections without expecting anything back. 
and using some of your capital, social capital when you can to help others move forward. That's a big part of it. You're giving without expecting to get back. So that takes time and energy, right? <laughs> and it takes also the, there are people who just can't be happy for other people, but then maybe they can't be good ecosystem builders and they won't be good collaborators. But I think it takes that awareness of sometimes the need of the ecosystem comes first. And whether this organization or that organization gets to work on something, if the work gets done in the best possible way, it is a win for everybody. But I think for people to shift that mindset out of their, you said, defensiveness, and I, I see that so often, step away from that and see, but what's really best for the ecosystem? It's a big shift. But I agree with you that that makes you trustworthy because it shows that you're not necessarily pursuing your own agenda or that of your organization, but you are pursuing whatever is best for the people you're trying to serve and the partners who come alongside you. I have to ask you this because it came up in a conversation with Jess Edwards. I was reminded of it when you said there are certain sore heads. What do you do with people who have a personal history with a different partner, a different person in the ecosystem, and will not collaborate based on that history? Is there anything that can be done or do you just move forward without them? This again goes back to putting in the time beforehand to tell me a little bit about that situation, you know, set up a, a coffee meeting, a Zoom session, a phone call, take the time to understand what happened. And if there's any way that you can help mitigate those feelings, those frustrations and move forward, but realize that sometimes there's not. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's your your past a point of no return. That being said, it goes a long way to sit down and say, you know, t tell me about what happened and and why you feel that way. And is there anything that I can do to help improve the situation? I find that a lot of soreheads, a lot of folks who are great ecosystem builders, but often are very frustrated at working with particular folks or with particular projects. It's often because it goes back to that hope. Maybe they were so excited to do this work. They were so excited about this project. And then things didn't turn out the way that they wanted. And so now they're, they feel like, I, I put all this time and energy in and maybe I was not appreciated. Maybe I feel like nobody recognized the work that I did. And so it snowballs into, I'm not going to work with this person. I'm not going to work with this particular organization. And when you sit down and chat with them, What they say is, I feel like I put in a lot of time and energy and nobody really noticed. Nobody ever thanked me. Mm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a huge thing amongst ecosystem builders. It's, you know, constantly working without necessarily getting appreciation or thanks. And so what I find is when I have talked to some folks who say, when you dig down deep enough, they say, I, I feel totally unappreciated. I feel that when new exciting things come, I never get asked to participate. I feel left out. Mm -hmm. I feel taken advantage of maybe. And when you dig down, you're able to uncover some of those and say, well, what, what can we do about that? Maybe it's, they just want to be included, right? They, they're a very busy person. They want to be included. They want to be thought of as an important member of the ecosystem. And there's a lot that you can do to include folks. You know, I think it's the shift from, us versus them, again, it goes back to like, oh, are we trying to make things better for ourselves and our organization? Do we have a, a personal goal that we're trying to advance as opposed to inviting folks in? You know, I'm constantly shocked by how far that can get you to say, I'm so excited you're here. I'm so thankful you're here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to work with you. Let's, in, let's work together. That actually goes to another way to build trust. Working with folks on small projects goes a long way towards building empathy for them, right? You get to know a little bit about them. Uh, for example, you know, I just had a baby. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, you, you get to know them as a person and you really start to build up a relationship. And I think of it as a piggy bank. Every time that you do, you support other folks, uh, you build a relationship, you're putting money into that piggy bank. And then when things go awry, You have to pull money out of that piggy bank. And so building trust is about slowly putting money in that piggy bank for when things don't go the way that you wanted or, or things go sideways and you have to pull money back out. So that's another way to build trust is to work with folks in small ways. 
work on small projects together, invite them in, ask their opinion, ask them to be, you know, oh, you're really knowledgeable about this. I would love to have your thoughts and your opinions. That goes a long way towards helping folks feel really included. And like they go from being one of your biggest opponents to one of your biggest supporters. Why don't we do this more? Now that you explain it, I'm like, that makes so much sense. Like build relationships with people before you need something. Build relationships because ecosystem building and collaboration is all about relationships. Why don't we do this more? Why don't we take the time and make the time to get to know people, to understand what they're thinking, what their journey has been, and what is holding us back to do that all the time? It can be exhausting. It, it can be uh, exhausting to constantly feel like you are making the first step. You're modeling the behavior. So I, you know, a lot of educators in my family, and we talk about this concept of you're modeling the behavior that you would like to see. Yeah. Right. I, I, I will do it first. I'll put myself out there first. That's exhausting. And it's scary. Sometimes you will get folks who, you know, think, well, that's, you know, again, they, they go back to that's dumb or I'm not going to do that or I don't want to participate. And so you have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, well, that didn't go the way that I thought it would, but I put myself out there and I tried. Right. Yeah. And it's scary to put yourself out there and say, here's what I'm trying to do. Um, would you like to do this with me? So I, I think a big part of it is you have to be vulnerable to build relationships with folks. And that takes time and energy. And honestly, in our, you know, in today's day and age, time and energy seem to be in short supply for many folks, right? They're, they're overworked, under, you know, undervalued or not feeling appreciated. And so taking more time to build relationships is like, oh, that's one more thing. But Honestly, that to me goes back to the basis of a great community. Uh, one thing I love about living in Alaska is I feel like so many community members, for example, if you, you know, bad snowstorm, you get stuck in the snow. I have grown up in a community where folks will pull over and try to help dig you out. Uh, you know, I have been stuck in the snow many times <laughs> and had to <laughs> both get, take, you know, both have folks help me out and I've stopped and helped other people. But It's about taking the time to build that type of a community. So the reason we don't do it, I think, is because it's hard and you have to be vulnerable and realize that sometimes it's not going to go the way that you want. And sometimes it feels like, why do I have to be the first one? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to put myself out there first? Why can't somebody else be doing this? I'm exhausted. I don't want to be the one who has to put their neck out there. Somebody else should be doing this. Yeah. And then I flip to, well, may as well be me. Uh, and, and it's not that way all the time. Mm -hmm. I definitely have many moments and many of my colleagues will tell you this where I'll say, you know, I just need to vent for a minute. I'm frustrated about this situation. I wish it would have gone differently, but I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to change my mindset. I'm going to reapproach this. And, you know, it's okay to be frustrated and to say I'm exhausted with having to be you know, putting myself out there if others aren't doing that. And it, you know, nobody's perfect at that. So I think that's why folks don't do it. You have to be vulnerable. And I don't do it nearly enough. Even as I'm talking about it, I think there's other folks I could reach out to that I could work with that I could help them feel more included. And that's, it's, it's a constant thing to work on. I don't know if this resonates with other ecosystem builders, but I used to live in Richmond, Virginia, and Building relationships, meeting people, chatting was the easiest thing in the world. I really enjoyed it. I'm an extroverted person, so I get a lot of energy from that. Now that I'm in a completely new ecosystem, post-pandemic, after working from home for two and a half years, it takes so much more energy for me to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations, to meet people, to start building relationships that... I can do, sometimes I can only do one or two of those a day and then I'm exhausted. And I don't remember that being an issue four or five years ago. So I don't know if it's the pandemic, if it's the nature of the community, maybe I've just gotten old and rusty, but I've definitely noticed that it takes a much greater toll on my well-being to be listening actively, face-to-face, -to, -face, to drive 40 minutes to this coffee meeting and sit down and have it and listen. And I really enjoy it in the moment. But I could name three meetings in the last month that I walked out of and I was like, 
I feel like I am drained. I feel like I left half of myself at that table and I've got nothing left to give today. Does that ever happen to you? Absolutely. Uh, All the time. Good. Not just me. It's not just you. When I facilitate events often, you're right. During the moment um, when you're, you're working with folks, it's like, oh, this just feels so amazing. This feels great. And then afterwards, you, it, I'm winter bear tired. That's how I would describe it. Even not being pregnant, winter bear tired. You're just exhausted. You gave everything and now you need to rest. And I think that I would love to see more people setting healthy boundaries. If you can say, I I can only do two meetings a day, that's okay. How do we set healthy boundaries and not feel guilty about, oh, I should be doing more? Uh, That's not the reality, right? You you have only so much time and energy in a day. So how do we set healthy boundaries uh, to protect ourselves? But I I call it being winter bear tired, where you're so tired, you sit down at five o'clock and you're sound asleep on the couch in five minutes, you know. So easy. uh, Yep, it is. It really is. And I think it goes back to how do we set healthy boundaries for ourselves so that we make sure to recharge and take care of ourselves. That's really important. I see so many ecosystem builders who are burned out. And and, and I say, I, I totally understand that. Can I help? If not, sometimes it's like, we have to say no to some things. Uh, that's the unfortunate reality. It is what it is. Uh And we can't all be burning ourselves out all the time. That's not healthy for any of us. And it doesn't benefit the community in the long run. It does not. I agree. That leads to my next question that I had for you. When you feel winter bear tired, when you've just had too much drama, what do you do to come back to yourself? How do you recenter yourself? How do you pull the emergency brake and and pull out your first aid kit? What's in it? I go back to a couple of different things. I have a few colleagues that I will sit and uh, I can be very open and honest with them and say, you know, kind of this is this is between us. And um, I'm very thankful that I have a few folks that I can talk to that they will understand the situation. They'll often understand the players and I can just kind of go into their office and or, you know, call or whatever and just kind of spill. And I'm really thankful for that. That's incredibly valuable to me. And um, both that they're my friends, but also my colleagues that I can go in and say, oh my gosh, you will not believe, you know, this (laughs) happened or this is coming or whatever. So I process information often by talking to folks, asking them, what do you think about this? Um, And so that's one thing I often feel the need to kind of get things off my chest. So I will talk to folks. I also uh, will journal. um, And I love journaling because I can write whatever I want and probably doesn't even make a lot of sense, but it's the idea of, for me, getting a lot of that frustration, that angst, um, or just tiredness kind of out of my head so that I don't overthink things. Um, and then I can, you know, say, let let me, let me put this down, like physically put this down. I put a lot of time and energy into writing down whatever, and I'm going to put literally put this down and walk out. There's actually, um, Cal Newport is uh, does a lot of really, really interesting work. He's uh, at Georgetown, and he has this process where I can't remember exactly what he says. I heard him say this once on a, a podcast, but he's, he says verbally to himself when he's done at the end of the day, like, commencing shutdown. And he literally <laughs> closes his – it's so funny, but it triggers something in his brain, I think, to say, like, okay, we're done for the day. I close my computer, I turn off my phone or whatever that looks like for you. And people laugh when they hear that. But he says it triggers something in my brain to say, like, let's put this down for the night. Let's recharge. Let's refresh. Let's go maybe flip into family mode because I know that um, I think he has a couple of kids. So for him, saying having some kind of a phrase to say, okay, you know, I've done what I can do for now. I need to stop doing this and I need to go transition to something else. And so I would say I talk to folks, I journal, and sometimes I try to set boundaries of, okay, I need to stop this for now and I need to go do something fun or exciting that's maybe using a very different part of my brain. Margot, before we move on to the rapid fire round, I just want to let all of our listeners know that they can connect with you on LinkedIn and that I will put the link to your LinkedIn into the show notes. That was a lot of link, link, link words in one sentence. Thank you. All right. I am ready for the rapid fire round. Are you ready? I am ready. 
All right. First question. Social capital is? Social capital is the ability to call somebody or a group of somebodies, ask for their help, and they show up for you in whatever way they can. They provide access to their network. They, uh, right now I'm a new parent, they bring you food. Uh, they answer your phone call. <laughs> Social capital is having a network of folks that help you in whatever way they can, often out of the goodness of their heart, often not expecting something in return. That's what social capital is to me. Of which you are a perfect example, by the way, because when I put out my SOS on LinkedIn and said, I don't know how to move forward with this and I don't know who to ask, who can help. It was Jess Edwards who just picked up the phone, sent a text to the to you and me in the same thread and said, hey, you guys have never met, but Margot's amazing at this. Uh, Annika has a problem. Can you guys talk? And I was like, what? Yeah, like there's this person in Alaska who I don't think I've ever met in person. And you said, sure, yeah, just grab some time on my calendar. I'd be happy to walk you through how I approach this kind of issue. And I felt a million bucks that day. And every time after that, I called you, I was like, hey, uh, can I ask you one more thing? You were like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'd love to. And I just couldn't believe that you were willing to share with me who you had never met. You had no reason in the world to help me. And you were like, well, if Jess says you're good, then you're good. And I'd love to help. And that is that. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. For everybody who's listening, please be more like Margot. Pick up the phone, <laughs> make the time, don't burn yourselves out. But that was fantastic. So um, thank you. You are a walking, breathing, living example of what good social capital looks like, Margot. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, second question. Who is one ecosystem builder who is really good at building trust and social capital? I have a number of different colleagues that I, that I wanted to mention. But one person that I've been working with quite a bit lately is uh, Linda Jane. Um, she's up here in Anchorage. She runs the G-Beta program. And the more that I have uh, come to know Linda, the more that I have had the opportunity to work with her, the more that I feel that she practices a lot of what we've been talking about. And I have built a trust by working with her. And she has, I feel, bent over backwards to connect a lot of the programs that we have in our ecosystem. And she has been working with many of us and we have built this community here of a community practice. That's what I like to call it. It's a group of us who get together, who run different programs and we can get together kind of like teachers often get together and, you know, share tips and tricks and, and help each other with different things that they might be struggling with. And I feel like Linda is somebody who not only is constantly working for the entrepreneurs of Alaska, but has been a really great colleague, reaching out, doing things without expecting to get anything back. And it just warms my heart. And that being said, I have a number of amazing colleagues up here in Alaska who really make this enjoyable and fulfilling work. So, But Linda's one that I, I thought of, and I wanted to kind of give her a shout out. Do you want to add the names of the colleagues you want to mention? Yes. The group that I was thinking of in particular, um, we, we need, uh, I would say every couple of months typically, but um, Gretchen Fowski, who is at the Center for Economic Development with myself, and Catherine Jernstrom, uh, who is a social entrepreneur, uh, or not, excuse me, she's an entrepreneur. Um, I was trying to say serial entrepreneur. And a couple of other words at the same time. Uh, so she's a serial <laughs> entrepreneur and uh, she is our co-lead on the Accelerator program. Uh, did I know that you know Catherine? I don't know if you did know that. Uh, huh. Worlds colliding. Anyway, keep, keep going. But yes, she is wonderful. <laughs> Catherine is the best. Um, and then a couple of other folks. So Penny Gage, she's at uh, Launch Alaska, which is an accelerator program up here. I've known Penny for many years. Um, and then I think the other folks that I really wanted to mention are actually up in Fairbanks. So uh, my old stomping grounds up at UAF, the University of Alaska Fairbanks. So that would be um, Mark, 
and Peter and Evelyn up there. They're just fantastic colleagues. And all of those folks, we get together and I feel like we're doing a lot of amazing work to kind of help the ecosystem grow across the state of Alaska. So there's many other folks, but those are the ones that I've kind of been meeting with quite a bit as of late. Wonderful. Great. Uh, what is one resource that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? So this, I thought a lot about books or things that would be of interest. And one that I read very early on, actually, I would say I've read it many years ago now. Um, it's called The Medici Effect. Um, we actually had the author Franz, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I think it's Johansson, Johansson, um, come and speak at a conference in Alaska in Juneau uh, quite a few years ago now. The reason that I really loved that book was it looks at innovation and how innovation is uh, really cyclical. And there's a lot of things that have, um, we'll, we'll see commonality, you know, uh, over, over time of, oh, wow, uh, they actually were doing really innovative and really cool things, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And, and there's, there's common threads. What I loved about that book was it talked about how innovation is not just you know, creating new technologies or creating this great new app. Innovation can really be prolific in a community. It can change um, the way that we do things in so many different ways. And what I mean by that is we can be innovative about how we run our local government. Uh, we can be innovative about the way that we teach folks. We can be innovative in the way that we develop new solutions to problems that we have, right? So innovation looks like a lot of different things. And that book does a great job talking about um, how innovation can really come about in, in many different shapes and forms. And why I think that's important is it grows the community. We grow away from, okay, the entrepreneurship community is only tech folks, to we actually are really innovative in a variety of different ways across our entire community. We can have innovation in the arts and music sector. Um, you know, we can have innovation in how we do education. So it brings it back to we can all be innovative. And it's got some really interesting anecdotes in there. So one of my favorite books, I reference it all the time. Um, it's just a great way to kind of think more broadly about what, it, what innovation is and, and how it's important for your community. Super. Thank you so much, Margot. Thank you for being here today. This has been wonderful. Thank you for making time where I know you literally have your hands full with much more important things. So thank you for being here, sharing your knowledge so generously. Um, I hope to either be able to come and see you sometime in Anchorage or have a chance to have you back on the show and see what's happening. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, I got to go, go back to the little one now, but um, I, I really appreciate the time today. <laughs> Super. Thank you. Be sure to connect with Margot on LinkedIn and hit her up for a first Friday's tour if you ever find yourself in Anchorage. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawandasetula and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Ella's past, present and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.